Hey, my name is Matt. Thanks so much for joining us here at Rockbridge Online, Rockbridge On Demand. We are so glad that you have chosen to tune in on your device uh, from your living room or wherever you're watching this, however you're watching this. Hey, just welcome. Thanks for being a part of this online experience. Now, next weekend, we're excited that we're moving back to start regathering physically at all of our campuses and all of our locations. There's tons of information out. There's going to be a reservation system for each campus so we don't have too many people showing up based on the seating capacity that we're going to adhere to in order to practice safe social distancing. But we will be excited to regather. Now we're going to remain also up online and up on demand. For those of you who prefer that, you believe that's best for you at this time or wise for you, your situation. So you can continue to join us this way, the same way that you are, or you can go to the reservation site and uh, be able to be with us at any of our six locations as we are one church, six locations, multiple languages, all under the leadership of Jesus Christ. But hey, you know what, Robbridge, I just want to say it's been an amazing season because we have continued to live out what we believe. And we do not believe the church is a time or a place or a building. We believe the church is a people who are madly in love with Jesus and just want to share that love with the world around them. And we've been able to do that through some amazing opportunities and the heart of Christ that uh, beats thoroughly and throughout this church. Join with me as we pray together. God, as we prepare to open your word, just find our hearts open. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And God, the air we just breathe, we don't deserve. And yet you gave us life in your son, Jesus, when he died in our place. And thank you for that. Thank you that we've been able to showcase Christ online and out in our communities through our various hope expressions. And God, as we begin to regather next weekend, we just pray for favor and wisdom and protection. And we pray that we could continue to display and lift up and make clear who your son Jesus is to the world that's watching and a world in need of him. Jesus, meet us now in your word. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, today, church, I I just want to talk about what I think is a crisis facing America and also facing the church. And, And the crisis that I'm talking about is a trust deficit. And you see this, it's really been highlighted during this coronavirus pandemic and the situation because you, you and I, we battle, we struggle with, who, who do we trust? I mean, one doctor says one thing, another doctor contradicts that. Our politicians constantly contradict. Pastors even contradict in how they interpret or how they think the church ought to respond or to, to this crisis. Uh, so, so you have all these competing voices and competing views, and, and we just don't know who to trust. And, and then, we, then we move into camps and we move into tribes and we disagree. And the way we disagree is, is pretty challenging, right? Because the way we disagree is we demonize the people we disagree with, we slander, we critique, we, sh- we shift blame, we attack. And, and it brings us back to this question, who do we trust? Now, ultimately, we have to trust because the, everything sort of runs ultimately on trust. But what we do is we just start to trust ourselves, our own biases and perceptions, and people who think just like we do, our tribe of people. And, and this has created an amazing, amazing challenge. And I, I want us to zoom out for just a minute and, and get the heart of God on this challenge facing our society. And it's only going to be exasperated and made worse as we move into a presidential election 
and all the intricacies and, and media attention that goes on, on that. But ultimately what we have to see this is this, when we face a trust deficit, and the church has contributed that to some degree, and we'll talk about that in just a second. When we face a trust deficit, we need to ultimately understand that is satanic. Because Satan knows if he can erode trust, then he can kill love. And love is central to the mission of the church, and love is central to understanding who God is. I mean, Satan's first attack was an attack against the trustworthiness of God. He said in the garden, did God really say? And he cast doubt on the trustworthiness, the reliability of God. Because we know when trust is eroded, it becomes harder to be generous, be harder to be patient. It's easier to be suspicious. It's easier to disagree and it's harder to love and that takes heart at the root of what God is up to and the root of who God is because you see ultimately the scriptures tell us that God is love we see that it was love that motivated the Father to send the Son, Jesus, to die instead of us, to die in our place. We see that it was love that motivated the Son to lay down His life for you and for me. And, and we see that it's the greatest commandments. Jesus was asked, hey, what are the two greatest commandments? And he, he said they have to do with love. They have to do with loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, hey, this is how the entire world is going to know that you follow follow me, that you're my student, that you're my disciple, they're going to know by how you love. And so what Satan does is he takes aim at trust and he takes aim at trustworthiness. And as that begins to erode, love begins to wither because we look at each other, not with generosity, not with a desire to love that person, but with a desire to be suspicious of or to demonize that person or to push that person away or they're not just like me or they don't see things the way I see things so there must be something wrong with them all because I'm not sure if I can trust them and then when love withers when love withers look at what all goes with it the greatest evidence for God and the greatest witness of the church has to do with our ability to love and so if we erode trust, we diminish love, and that is how Satan diminishes and hurts the, wit the gospel witness of the church. Our witness as a church becomes pow powerless because we're not trustworthy, and if we're not trustworthy, that it diminishes our capacity and our ability to love. And so what happens then is we become increasingly more fragmented, increasingly more, uh, increasingly more isolated, and then what do we do? We're preoccupied with justifying ourselves, being suspicious of others, and blaming the mysterious they. So this is a big deal for the bride of Christ. It's a big deal for you as you're out there in this crazy, broken, fallen world. And it's high, this, this trust deficit is higher than it might have been in years in our country. And it's also, people don't know if they can trust the church. And if they can't trust the church, then we can't show them the love that we have in Christ or that Christ has for them. But what's a crisis is also an opportunity because God has shown us the way. See, if you go all the way back into the Old Testament, what God has been after 
after we stopped trusting and loving him because of that, did God really say in the garden? What God has been after is he's been after people and he's been trying to call and create and remake a group of people that will follow him, that will trust him, that will experience his love and then offer his love to a world in need of it. And so God began this redemptive work, this calling and, and making and shaping of a people with a group of people we call Israel or we call the Jews. And after he had rescued the Jews and redeemed the Jews and made them his chosen people that he was going to begin this great redemptive work of love in and through and among, he gave them a set of laws or commandments. And the ninth commandment speaks directly to this issue about trust and trustworthiness. And it also gives us an insight of how trust serves the purposes of love. So the commandment reads like this in Exodus 20:16, where it says, do not give false testimony. Your translation and other translation may say, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, commonly, we've sort of reduced this down to do not lie, but that's a real limited understanding of the spirit of this commandment, which we need to get underneath. So in, in this commandment, you see that truth and re in relationships is important. We get this understanding of neighbor. In, in this is that I'm not, I want to be a reliable advocate for you. I'm not going to go against you. And, and think about it. Israel at this time was coming out of slavery, and then they were nomadic, and then God's going to move them into their own land with their own property, and, and they're going to make cities, and they're going to have to live as neighbors. So this is vastly important that they be able to trust their neighbor, that they know their neighbor is trustworthy and reliable, and to see how truth then would serve and operate love. Because remember, Israel ultimately is going to be the impetus, the mechanism for the love of God to come into Christ and then be spread out into all the nations and all the world through the work of the church, which is grafted into and now part of Israel, right? So 1 Corinthians 13 begins to broaden this, this ninth commandment to give us its full implications. So here's what 1 Corinthians, this love chapter of the New Testament says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing or unrighteousness or injustice, but rejoices with the truth. So love and truth have a connection. And then love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, love hangs in there proves itself trustworthy, does not twist the truth, distort the truth, compromises the truth, or compromise the truth, but rejoices in the truth, and that serves the purposes of love. You go to Romans 13, 10, and Paul says this way, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. So this is the full spirit of the ninth commandment. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law, which Jesus also said when he echoed that there were two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then in the New Testament, Jesus does something else. He takes the definition of neighbor, he expands it, and he explains it. Because you know what you and I like to do? We like to pick neighbors that are easy for us to love. And that's what's going on in our society now. 
right? If I'm, if you're, if you're not my political party, then I can't, I don't consider you my neighbor. If you don't look like me, have the same skin color as me, you're not my neighbor. And we just start hiving and tribe and, and becoming more tribal and more isolated and just more preoccupied with our view and people who share our view. And all of that diminishes truth, which, which diminishes the ability to love. So Jesus speaks into that in the parable of the good Samaritan. And at the end of the parable, he, he says, look, which one of these three people, remember three of them walked by this wounded, beaten up, robbed man, and only one, the Samaritan, stopped to serve him and help him. So Jesus says, which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the, they answer, the, the guy answered and said, well, the one who showed mercy to him. And then Jesus said, well, you go and do the same. Not who is your neighbor, but you go and be neighborly. You go and serve your neighbor. You go and serve and, sh- and love and take care of whoever you can, wherever you go and whatever you're doing. So he- here's our understanding then. At this critical time in this critical crisis of trust, we need to realize, church, that if our nation and really our neighbors are ever going to trust God and know his love, then they might have to first trust the church and see our love. I'm going to say that again. If our nation or our neighbors, and remember our neighbor cannot be defined by an ethnic group or a geographic location or people who are just like us. This was the good Samaritan, a different ethnicity, right, than the Jewish people Jesus was talking to and talking about in Luke chapter 10. But if our nation and neighbors are ever going to trust God and know his love, then they might have to first trust the church and see our love. Now, unfortunately, the church has created or contributed to or played a role in creating this trust deficit so that now the church is sometimes viewed all too often suspiciously by people who ought to look at us and see us keeping the spirit of the ninth commandment. And I just want us all to understand something. You, if you are a Christ follower, you are the church, If you're not a member of Rockbridge, but you are born again and and you attend a church somewhere else, you are the church. So the church is not just pastors and people on staff and elders. The church is the people of God. So we all are either contributing to the spirit of the ninth commandment and, and, and getting rid of this trust deficit so love can go forth, or we're contributing to the trust deficit. So I just want to share some ways that it seems like the church contributes to this deficit of trust, which then diminishes the love of God through the people of God. The first thing is we sometimes in the church use truth to condemn people rather than point them to Christ. We wag a finger and we tell people they're wrong and we tell people, you know, in in a very mean-spirited way and it's a condemning tone it's the condemning goal rather than pointing people to Christ this is not the way of the head of the church the head of the church is Christ for, for here's what here's what Christ is, is does for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's John three sixteen. for God did not send his son into the world to condemn but in order that the world might be saved through him 
So yes, I, I believe the church has the truth, has ultimate truth, has, has the highest forms, the most beautiful forms of truth, truth about God, truth about what God wants for people, truth about right, truth about wrong, truth about justice. But oftentimes we do not use the truth to serve the purposes of showing the love of God. We use the truth to whack people in a condemning spirit and trust is diminished. Oftentimes, we focus more on being right than being Christ-like. We, 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 we want to be right in this argument. We want to be right in this issue. And, and, and we're arguing and we're battling and we're debating. And we're not demonstrating Jesus when we do that. Remember, if God's goal was simply to be right, He would have been right to leave us all in our sins, to leave us all under His justice and wrath, and give no one his grace and mercy. But instead, what did God do? He made Christ, the very Son of God, who never sinned, never did anything wrong. He made him to be the offering or the payment or the ransom for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God's goal was not for God to be, quote, right. God's goal was to make us right through the righteousness of his Son, Jesus so our, our goal with truth has got to be greater than, oh, we're right, you're wrong. Truth has to serve love in order for us to be a neighbor. Another issue that we have that's contributed to the trust deficit is the church has been selectively silent about certain issues and then selectively engaged on other issues. And to the world outside, we look like uh, an inconsistent neighbor. We would, we, some might even say the church is hypocritical because we care about this but not about that. And, and we have to understand the Bible gives us great clarity on some issues that are relevant in our time, in our place. And it is up to us as neighborly disciples of Jesus to appropriately advocate, champion, and engage on these issues. So, so let me share with you five issues where I just think there's, there's really no wiggle room for a neighborly disciple of Jesus. As we study the life of Christ, as we learn him and learn his ways, and that's what a disciple is, a student and apprentice, on how to truly be a neighbor, how to be neighborly, how does truth serve love. There's five issues. I got four of these from uh, Tim Keller out of New York City. But there's these five issues, there's just no wiggle room, there's no loophole. I know we all look for one and we, we, we sometimes, ah, oh, that's not that big a deal. In these five areas, if you read the Gospels, if you read the Spirit of God's Word and understand it, these are issues we can't be selectively silent and selectively engaged. The first one is simply this, the pervasive lostness and lack of true disciples that exist in our culture and in the church today. That we have to understand that we are not making grounds in our culture. The number of people that are leaving the faith, the number of churches closing down is not going up. Or excuse me, is going up. That there is lostness, there is disinterest. People are moving away from the church partly because of this trust deficit and, and the, in the, thus the inability to display and demonstrate the love of God. And we as Christ followers have to be broken that more people aren't learning the life of Jesus and more people aren't crossing over from death to life and understanding how God wants to make them right in Christ. The four other issues, one would be racial justice. 
that, that we cannot be silent on, on that issue. We cannot act like it doesn't matter. It does not apply. That racial justice is a huge part of the heart of God because Jesus redefined neighbor to include an, another race from the Jewish people where there was racial tension between those two people. We have to see that in Christ, he died for all people, not some people, and that the cure to racism is the love of God in Jesus because the the ground at the foot of the cross is level the blood of jesus is for all people we all have the same problem and the same solution is found in the god man jesus christ another issue where we cannot be selectively silent or selectively engaged is poverty and god has this heart for the poor for example if you just read through the life of jesus in any of the four gospels of matthew mark luke and john and and you're a christian and would you walk away thinking jesus cared more about the second amendment or more about the poor yet a lot of people would look at the church and and christians or conservative christians in the church and say they care more about the second amendment than the poor now, I don't mean to put those two on equal footing or, or, or anything like that, but it is an issue of where we're engaged because we have limited energy, we have limited time, and are we spending our limited energy and our limited time on the things that matter to God and the things that His love has an answer for? Another issue is that of life. And that the church has to be an advocate for life. Not just life that starts at conception, but life that continues to natural death. And you know what's amazing? Is while so many people right now are in the media and even on, in social media are debating about whether we should wear a mask or not wear a mask or whether we should do this or, not should, do, or, or should not do that, we have to all pause and just say, look, 100,000 people have lost their life in a very short, compressed period of time. And that should move us to weep with those who weep and should always move us to take a posture of doing whatever we can to advocate for life as it begins under God in conception and continues to natural death. And then the last issue is that for Christians... We have to understand that for Christians, sex is between one man and one woman in marriage. And, and we cannot be selectively engaged, selectively disengaged on these five issues. Now, if you look at this, two of them are sort of conservative and two of them are sort of liberal issues. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? That our political tribes that we have in this country don't really divide up biblically one way or another and that means we have to be more committed to being people of this book than people of a particular political persuasion lest we be selectively silent and selectively engaged and thus unneighborly in areas that matter most and serve God's purposes of love Another way the church has contributed to the trust deficit is we sometimes speak the truth with a tone that's not guided by love or guarded by grace. That the tone of our messaging, the tone of our social media posts, the tone that we take with other people would not come across as loving or be guarded by grace. We have to say tough things. We have to tell people truth. We have to speak truth to power. 
but it's got to be because we have a love for that person or love for, the, for God and for his glory. And we're always guarded by grace. That ultimately, God does not want to give any of us what we deserve. He wants to give us way better than we deserve, which is the love and life of his son, Jesus. And then finally, and unfortunately, sometimes the way the church erodes our trust and hurts our message is the way we fight looks a lot like the world. The way we fight looks a lot like the world. Blame, criticize, slander, uh, demonize the, the opposition, put one group against the other, give half-truths. And notice in Romans twelve twenty one, what God's great strategy is this. That yes, there's evil in the world, but the way God overcomes evil is not by doing evil in return, but he says we're going to overcome evil with good. That's why Jesus took evil upon himself in the gracious, sacrificial, good act of his death for us on the cross. That's why Jesus looked at the men who, who threw... Who, bet and gambled for his clothes and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's why Jesus would take time and show compassion to people everybody else in society was overlooking. Because his revolution that the church is on the front lines of is a revolution of overcoming evil with good. So I just want to share a way forward for us, Rockbridge, because I think this is an amazing opportunity for us to be the people of God, not the people of 11 o'clock on Sunday, but the people of Monday and Tuesday and Friday night and Thursday morning, the people 24-7 committed to showing the love of God, committing to allow truth to serve love as neighbors, right? So let me share a couple of thoughts with you. The first one is this. We need to spend more time marveling at the majesty of Jesus. Marveling at the majesty of Jesus. Let me ask all the Christ followers, all, all, all the folks, all the Rock Bridgers, Christ followers that are listening to me right now. When's the last time you just sat with an open Bible and just went, oh, over Jesus? When's the last time you were singing a worship song or, or a hymn that was talking about Christ and were like, we have to spend time marveling at Jesus because we're his student. And we give him our body and say, Jesus, I want to do marriage like you would do it if you had my marriage. Jesus, I, I, I want my Twitter and my Facebook to be your Twitter and your Facebook. Jesus, I want to be a neighbor the way you taught me to be a neighbor. So we sit at the feet of Jesus and, and, and in it we see who he is. And then as the, as the very God of God, and yet how he humbled himself to walk in our shoes, to be tempted like we're tempted, to weep like we weep, and then to die the death we deserve so we didn't have to die that way. We, we look at Jesus, we see how he treated the vulnerable. We see how he forgave his enemies. We look at Jesus, we see his sacrificial death and his glorious, glorious resurrection. And, and let me say this, Rockbridge, this is our unity as a church. We are not going to be unified as a church if we focus on skin color, if we focus on style of music, if we focus on should we be meeting again, should we not be meeting again, who should be in the White House. None of those are our sources of unity, nor our sources of power, nor the impetus for our wisdom. 
We are unified because we as a church years and years ago said we are going to be all about Jesus and all about his mission. And I will sacrifice my, pre- my preference if it helps the purposes of Jesus Christ and it helps display the love of Christ. That's what makes this church Rockbridge Community Church. So when, whenever you gather for worship again, whether it's online or on demand or physically at one of our six campuses, would you come to church and this be your prayer? Help me, God, get a glimpse of your majesty and marvel at it and be changed by who you are and go out and be that change to a world who needs the love of God in Christ. Number two, as a student and a disciple of Jesus, we need to learn to let our biblical filter beat our political filter, our preference filter, and or our tribal filter. All of us have filters for how we see things, how we respond to issues. And what I'm con- increasingly concerned about as we move to a presidential election is that too many of us believe our politics perfectly align with God's word. And then we demonize people who disagree. Or our preference trumps God's word. Or our tribal filter, our people, you know, how we see ourselves trumps. That's not what disciples of Jesus do. Disciples of Jesus say this, I have the mind of Christ and I can see the mind of Christ and be given the mind of Christ through the word of God. So I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to say anything unless it is run through my biblical filter. And if it comes down to it, my biblical filter beats my politics, beats my preferences, and beats my tribal filter. How powerful would that be? Because see, the world's watching. The world's watching. Who has the hope? Who, ha- who is trustworthy? Who has the love that the human heart needs to be full and to be healed? The church. We're God's what? Plan A. And I don't know of a plan B. And then third, we can, we can do this. We can radically reject and resist sins of the tongue. And that includes social media. Every Rockbridger ought to go right now and look at your Facebook or your Twitter, your Instagram or whatever you use and read every post you've posted in the last three to six months and ask yourself, would Jesus Christ typed it, posted it, published it the way I did and for the reasons I did? Because a lot of times we're fighting on social media the way the world does. We can use social media to showcase platform and put Christ out. And so we go to Ephesians 4, 29, where it says, hey, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths or out of your social media account, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Too often we'd rather fire people up than build others up. Too often we'd rather tear people down than build others up. We only have one biblical option. And then finally, Rockbridge, we can be alert for and seize neighborly opportunities we can be alert for and seize opportunities to be a neighbor and that's so powerful we've had so many of those opportunities this during this coronavirus season and i envision us as a church committing to do more of that and to take that to the next level because i really believe the next wave of church growth is going to occur out in the streets 
in the neighborhoods, in our communities, in our jobs, as we go forth in the spirit of the ninth commandment and we be people who are trustworthy, we, be peop- we are people who are motivated by the love of God and we want opportunities to share and to show that love with our neighbors that we're in contact with all the time. This is why what we do in our local missions effort, we call it HOPE, is so vitally important. In fact, if you're sitting out there right now and you're like, man, I just want to contribute. I just want to begin. Where do I start? I would just say you need to go to this website, bethehope.cc or to our Next Step page, and you just want to say to your campus pastor or fill it out online and say, hey, I just want to be involved in hope. I just want to be involved in hope. I just want to go out and be a neighbor. This to me is going to be where God's favor can rest upon us and we can faithfully use hope and our local missions to carry out the Great Commission to be good neighbors who carry good news of a God who became a man and who died in our place so his love could live in our hearts and we could live for him forever. So wherever you are in your journey, would you take a step today? you need us to help you take a step or there's something you have a question about you can text next steps or you to 888-744-0761 we've got a website a web page it's to, totally devoted to next steps about hope about small groups about hey I, you've listened today and, hey i just want to be a part of a church like this rockbridge 360 is the next best step for you however we can serve you however we can love you however we can help you be the church Let's pray together. God, thank you for our time together in your word. God, we've covered a lot of things. There's some areas we just need to say, God, we're sorry. We confess we've been silent or disengaged in areas, God, that matter to you. God, we need to confess that maybe we've used truth or half-truths not to serve love, but to serve our own preference or our own agendas or our own biases. God, I pray that today you'd find this church this church, Rockbridge Community Church, with a renewed commitment to carry and to share the love of your son, Jesus Christ, to a world that needs that love, a world that's asking, who can we trust? Who has answers? God, may we be that answer by the power of your spirit for the glory of your name. And in that name we pray, amen.